Tim Stafford has turned his Instagram feed into an evolving chronicle of his thoughts, concerns, desires, and fears during the coronavirus pandemic. Oregon's Poet Laureate has written about the unexpected beauty of Zoom video, Dr. Anthony Fauci's smile, and how he thinks the world will honor those who've died of COVID-19 when this is all over. I'm Andrew Thien, and this is Beat Check with the Oregonian. Later in the show, I speak with my colleagues Brooke Herbert and Beth Nakamura, photojournalists who created photographs and videos to pair with some of Stafford's pandemic poems. But first, a conversation with Stafford, a Lewis and Clark professor and son of another poet, William Stafford. We talked about his writing process, how his view of the world has changed during the pandemic, and much more. Here's that conversation. Kim Stafford, thanks so much for taking time to talk to me today. It's a pleasure, Andrew. I was hoping you could start by reading a recent poem you wrote, uh, if you have the text handy. Yes. Will we go back after the vaccine? When I taught poetry back in the day, we'd gather at a school parking lot after the kids went home, compare accounts of rush hour, delays, close calls. If the building was locked, I'd call the janitor. He'd come shuffling with keys. We'd get in, find our room, arrange a circle of desks, set out food and books for browsing or borrowing, and begin. We'd write and share voices, tears, and laughter. Now we meet online. No food, no books, Instead, we're all in gallery view, each isolate screen showing a grid of faces, then a poem on screen view. We talk, go mute, and write. Fifteen cars don't drive across town. Fifteen parents don't leave their children. Some hold up a glass of wine. One plays her viola, and we weep. The stories still rise up in our good company. We relish the writing, our voices, tears, and laughter. Thanks so much for sharing that with us. What were you feeling when you sat down to write that poem? You know, I start with the feeling of deprivation. I don't get to sit in a room with my students, my friends, my fellow writers. I don't get that dynamic of immediate uh, contact. But then I started thinking about this last class I taught online, and I thought, you know, no one's ever played their viola in a classroom on campus. Hmm. And uh, the writing, the words, the silences... The glances, the hand signals, you know, online uh, are still a pretty rich mix. And so it's part of my ongoing project, Andrew, to find the upside and the downside. You know, how can we make the best of this? And when you mentioned on campus, this was, uh, you're talking about on campus at Lewis and Clark College? Lewis and Clark, which is totally shut down. You know, can't even go into my office there. That poem struck me in particular because there are so many questions that so many of us have right now about how this experience will change our lives. And, and you kind of 
touched on that through the lens of your experience, but is that guiding a lot of what you're thinking about as well? Just both the presence, but also how this might change us? Yeah, well, you know, writing helps me live in three worlds. Uh, the past, you know, the riches of memory. Uh, the present, the news, the daily um, trying to figure out where are we going? What can I trust? Uh, who can I connect with? And then the future. What's it going to be like when we come out of this? When Dr. Fauci says we got through it and we enter a new era Hmm. Um, I feel like this pandemic has hit the reset button for our whole culture, our whole world. And we have a chance to decide again what's important. How do we want to connect? How do we want to do politics? How do we want to do economics? How do we run a business? You know, is it a money model? Is it a generosity model? You know, there's so many things at play I am excited about what might come out of this, even as I'm deeply troubled by what we're suffering. What uh, is your process when you're sitting down to write, whether it's a poem or a song or a book? Can you talk about where where you do that and, and what your process is like? Practitioners of Zen talk about the empty bowl, you know, to start with nothing, start with a kind of an empty, open uh, welcoming vacancy. Um, and I think for me, the blank page is, is gold, you know, the chance for a new beginning. And something, the, the way the, the phrase we use, something comes out of nowhere. Mm. Well, it's not really out of nowhere. It's out of the whole matrix of your experience, your day life, your dream life, your aspirations. And so for me, often a phrase or a recent uh, sensation or thought, you know, in the case of this poem, just thinking back over the class I'd done the day before and feeling a kind of sweetness in the connection we were able to make online in spite of our uh, separation. So it starts with a, a feeling, an idea, a few words, uh, and then it spills forth on the page. I think a lot of us can can share some camaraderie with that sentiment of of sweetness. Um, you know, I never thought that I would look so much forward to a video conference call. Yeah, that's right. Yeah, and people have told me um, I'll look back on this time as a time of great sweetness with my children that I, you know, in a former life I didn't see during the day. Uh, and what stories will kids tell when they're older of this time? Uh, there's going to be some good, no matter what. Uh, two of my colleagues recently came and visited you, and as to the extent that we can visit anyone these days, um, but they, they saw your space and described it. But for folks who don't know, um, where do you do your writing, and can you describe uh, the space to folks uh, might be listening. Yeah, well, first let me say I was so impressed by those two reporters from the Argonian. They really went the distance. They had good ideas about how to do a story and just their whole impulse to tell a story about creation and about the beauty of the world and, uh, you know, poetry at a time when so much of the news is dark and difficult. So uh, my process is I, I wake up early. I can't sleep past 4.30 or 5. I take a walk in the dark, gather my thoughts, uh, and then I have a little shed out in the yard uh, 
about the size of Thoreau's hut. Uh, and I go in there with coffee and, um, you know, go into out-of-nowhere land <laughs> with a blank page and uh, just see what comes forth. Um, and, you know, I, I'm putting these poems on Instagram every day. And once you put a poem on Instagram, you can't really send it to a magazine. You know, you can't. It's been published. And I thought, well, what about my career? Well, I'm not serving my career. I'm serving readers now through Instagram. You know, I want to, I want to have something out there that uh, maybe people can feel accompanied in whatever their struggle is. Well, it's a wonderful feed, and we appreciate it uh, as, as Oregonians. Um, take me inside your, your shed. I mean, what, what's, it, what's it look like? <laughs> Well, it's a dumping ground, Andrew. It's, you know, things that don't fit in the house or the basement uh, are out in the shed. So there are a lot of stacks of books, uh, my clarinet from high school, uh, a carved wooden cross that a logger made that I picked up 30 years ago, uh, you know, artifacts, Oregon things, Northwest things. Uh, and you built the shed? You know, my, my yeah, I built the shed, uh, uh, mostly reclaimed materials. Um, you know, a door I bought at a barn sale in Camp Sherman mm. 35 years ago, things like that. But there's a pine desk and a lamp, and, you know, there's that little uh, arena of light in the early morning when everything else has been delayed, you know, let's just go through the list. Uh, calls, emails, deadlines, uh, the to-do list, that's all later, later. And in this little circle of light, I just try to be with a few words and try to arrange them in a way that they could be a gift for a reader. How has your eye for a poem or for a line or for a, a, a through line that you're trying to tell through words uh, changed, if it's changed at all since the pandemic started? Well, you know, yeah, Andrew, that's a good question. Uh, one thing I've been thinking about is, and I've, I've read it in, in the Oregonian and in some of your podcasts, the search for transparency, for authenticity, for honesty mm -hmm. and truth. You know, uh, politicians have a hard time with things like that. There's so much at stake. Business people have a hard time. You know, profit and, and power are kind of the coin of the realm in those areas. In poetry, transparency is the whole goal. Authenticity is the goal because there's nothing at stake but the truth. Right. You know, they say for, for a poet, uh, if you do it long enough, you can work your way into the high two figures. <laughs> you know, so, so you're, it'd be, because you can't make money doing it, you are completely free to write the truth as you experience it. And I think that's, that feeling has been intensified. As the news uh, gathers like a storm cloud around us, the importance of a few clear words is uh, magnified. Now, you are Oregon's Poet Laureate, um, and a lot of folks might not know what that means or what the role is of a Poet Laureate. So what is that role as you see it in quote-unquote normal times, I guess, and then what about now? Well, I think normal times and now, my feeling is the role of the Poet Laureate is to serve, you know, to help uh, individuals, schools, prisons, 
communities, libraries, have access to purposeful literacy. Uh, you know, words that matter, uh, a few clear words. Uh, so I've, you know, I traveled the state. I'm almost done with my two-year term. I have another month to go. But I went to 100 communities and, you know, sometimes met with just a few people, sometimes a lot of people, shared poetry, did writing with people, invited them to uh, have a writing practice, to write a letter, to write a poem for a friend, uh, just sort of spread the good news of the power of words. And what has that experience been like through these almost two years? It's been such a privilege to travel this beautiful state. You know, I realized when I was named Port Laureate uh, by Governor Kate Brown in May of 2018, I get to return to Oregon. You know, I've sort of been stuck in Portland. I have a job. I have a family. <laughs> I have, you know, a lot of good things. But I got to go to the Albert Desert. I got to go to Gold Beach. I got to go to Tamasklicht out on the Umatilla Reservation. Uh you know, Wallowa County, um, Bend, Redmond, Madras, Klamath Falls, all these beautiful places and vibrant communities. And I got to meet people who wanted to be with language, be with truth, be with story, celebrate who they are and where they are. Now, uh, you are a second generation poet laureate. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, Your my dad legacy. was poet laureate. Uh, yeah, my dad was poet laureate uh, for three governors. He kept trying to resign. He, <laughs> he would write each one as they came in, and uh, and you know, as I travel, uh, Andrew, sometimes I meet people and they say, "Well, I've heard of you, but I thought you'd be quite a bit older." <laughs> <laughs> you know, we uh, we sort of overlap in the public mind, perhaps. Um, but I, I learned a lot from my dad, but I, I kind of go my own way. He was a Midwesterner. I'm a West Coaster, and I kind of savor the similarities and the differences. What was it like growing up with a you know, famous poet as a father? Uh, yeah, well, this is the mystery. He wrote very early in the morning. He got up at three or four, and so I never saw him write a poem until I was in college, and we were in a motel room, and he, Bud Clark had asked him to write a poem about the great blue heron, and he said, well, I better write that poem. So, you know, but before that, Andrew, he was just daddy, yeah. you know, he'd be making breakfast when we got up, and these books would come out, and oh yeah, there's a new book, but it's like they came out of a hat or something, <laughs> like a magician's trick. Because he did it all in the dark before others were awake. Where uh, was that hotel room? Do you remember? That was Washington, D.C. Uh, and there was a gathering of national poet laureates. My dad was one of those in 70, 71. And so they had all the old codgers there and uh, having a reunion. <laughs> and my dad had to write the poem for Bud Clark on the Great Blue Heron. And Bud Clark, obviously, uh, his relationship with art is is famous here in, in the Portland area. It's famous. Expose yourself to art. That's right. So you never saw your dad write a poem until uh, until you were an adult. So how, how did you end up carrying on, you know, a different torch, <laughs> but carrying on your torch? Well, you know, I'm a teacher, and 
teachers are my heroes. I had a teacher in college uh, teaching English comp, you know, basic uh, kind of expository writing. But one time I turned in a poem instead of an essay, and he took me aside after class. I thought I was in trouble. And he said, uh, what are you going to do with this? And I said, well, what do you mean do with it? I, I turned it in. No. No, outside of class, what are you going to do with this? <laughs> I said, well, what should I do with it? You should put it out in the world. You should send it forth. And I think, you know, these 50 years later, I'm still trying to answer that question when I write a poem. What am I going to do with this? Where is this needed? Where could this help? Where should I send this? So I think that was a turning point for me, Andrew, to think, well, maybe I've got something too. And you said you're a teacher and you've been teaching writers, young writers, how to connect with their words and thoughts for how long now? Well, uh, I started in 72, so quite a while. (laughs) (laughs) You know, I started in a little elementary school in Beauville, Idaho, where there was a young student who uh, just blew me away with her writing. Uh, I was born in 1515. I'm old and gray. I'm a tree. I grow for a living. I like to be climbed, though no one climbs me. My school is so dark that we all sleep. I will live for a year. I'm one year old. (laughs) You know, I was just humbled by this young imagination. And I've relished being with writers ever since in class and out. That sounds like a John Prine song. (laughs) It does, doesn't it? Yeah. You're also, I've listened to some of your music online, and uh, you obviously love sharing stories through all mediums. Are you picking up an instrument or picking up a pen and writing songs right now as well? Yeah, yeah. Well, the first I wrote a very corny um, hand-washing song. (laughs) You know, I just got tired of singing Happy Birthday so I wrote that, and there's some there's some ballads brewing. I think John Prine is a name to conjure with. I think his genius for honoring ordinary people is something that would be very important work in these times. I've been talking to photographer friends about let's do portraits of people in the pandemic. Uh, you know, heroic images of people getting through this together. And apart. Well, you can't mention a hand washing song without uh, without sharing the goods. What do you got? Okay, okay. Uh, it's called Corona Be Gone. I'm washing for me, I'm washing for you. I'll soap up the virus so we won't get flu. I don't want a temp. I don't want a cough. Hot water and lather will scrub these bugs off. <laughs> that's wonderful there you go no, no more uh no more happy birthday song no no we've all got to invent new ways to do old things so um your poems just reading through the instagram uh collection that you've started you know you've written about zoom calls and history of uh, you know the the 1918 flu, and you've written about your daughter, a very moving just note to your daughter. Um, how yeah, how are you yeah. how are you doing as a you know as a parent and as a person, not a poet, right now? Well, you know, Andrew, it's a little bit like um, when I went to college myself. My mom told me uh, I never knew you until you went off to college and started writing letters. 
And in a way, uh, you know, we used to visit our kids once in a while, and now we call them a lot and uh, try to stay current, try to, you know, check in about what are you learning, what are you feeling, what are you fearing, how could we help each other. So it's a different kind of relation, but it has its own intensity and uh, affection. And your kids, can you, if you're comfortable talking about them, are they local? Yeah, well, one's uh, in southeast Portland in her basement apartment, and the other's uh, finishing his last term at University of Oregon in Eugene online. Uh, And he'll have his graduation online, and then who knows what jobs there may be. Strange times. Yes, um, what about your health? You know, I'm, you, you're, you're 70. My parents are that, <laughs> that, 70, that yeah. age and, you know, <laughs> I, I speaking for us, uh, us millennials with, uh, parents in that age range. I know I, I think about my parents a lot. How are you doing? So far, so good, Andrew. Uh, exercise, you know, was a good idea. Now it's essential, um, eating well, sleeping well. Uh, I think I'm I'm babying my aging body uh, because I want to last a long time. I want to come out of this and have stories to tell and uh, sit around the fire with people I love and uh, sing and talk to each other. You you said earlier you have one more month as poet laureate. Do you hope that continues? I mean, we are kind of in a global pandemic right now. It seems like timelines yeah, might be uh, yeah. off. You know, I had to. I had my last public event as poet laureate on March 11th out in Milwaukee, and uh, the next day I got online and canceled my remaining 25 events, which was very painful to do. But some of those uh, sponsors have reached out to me, and you know, like the librarian at Forest Grove, could we do? Uh, could we record a Zoom reading where you would read for our people in Forest Grove? And you know, I'm setting one up in Wallowa County, where I'll have a live uh, poetry reading on Zoom. So I'm trying to fulfill my connections. And I, I, when they announce the next person in May, the next poet laureate, the tenth poet laureate of Oregon, I want to connect with that person, and you know. Put our heads together however we can and, and plan to send poetry forth no matter what. What advice would you give to, uh, I'm putting my selfish hat on, on here, a, a parent <laughs> of a three and one year old who's uh, uh, trying to survive the situation? You know, I'm, I'm housed, I'm employed, although, you know, newsroom took a hit as many industries have. But any advice you'd give to parents of young children right now? Yeah, well, I think cherish, cherish, cherish. Uh, You know, they will look to you for, is this a tragedy or is this an adventure? Is this an exploration? Uh, What are we learning? What stories will come out of this time? And Andrew, one thing my parents did that I advocate all parents do is keep a book of their sayings and doings. You know, you think you'll remember forever these uh, incandescent moments of utterance or curiosity or gesture. But keep a book uh, just by the dinner table and write down in the evening, oh, this is what she said. 
I didn't, I, I was amazed. I didn't know where that came from. I'm just going to write it down. Hmm. And my parents, you know, when we went off to school, they presented us with this book of our sayings. And it said to us, you are thinkers, you are talkers, you have important ideas. Uh, so, you know, the way Anne Frank kept a diary, the way um, Albert Camus wrote The Plague uh, about that time, the way Giovanni Boccaccio in the 13th century wrote, uh, or the 14th century wrote The Decameron. You know, I think mm -hmm. writing stories, especially in the family of this time, will be a treasure in the days to come. Do you think there will become a point where you've exhausted any ideas or thoughts on life during this particular time? I ask myself that every morning. You know, have I have I run the course? Let's see. I've used uh, shelter in place, uh, pandemic business model, uh, doctor virus prescribes. Uh, Oregon Dawn, in spite of the news, you know, I've sort of played the changes on these things, but it's an unfolding story. Uh, and there are new vignettes of individual experience and uh, new fears that rise up in myself that I want to speak to. So I don't think the writing is going to end anytime soon. Well, thank you for sharing your words and your thoughts and your insights on them with us today. Appreciate it. Thank you so much for what you and everyone at The Oregonian is doing. We're all in this together, and you help us do that uh, with solidarity. That's very kind. Thanks. Let's take a break, then hear from The Oregonian and Oregon Lives, Brooke Herbert and Beth Nakamura. Here's Brooke Herbert and Beth Nakamura. Beth briefly references being quarantined as a precaution after potential exposure to the coronavirus, but the exposure has been ruled out and she's doing fine. Here's that conversation. How did this idea come about? It started in, as so many ideas do, in the shower. We're in a catastrophe here, and, and that was uh, fresh then. And so in the midst of the catastrophe, while in the shower, I thought... Who can speak to this moment? You know, I thought of the poet laureate, and I thought, well, that's a really good that that could be good. That's that that's a good idea. The great thing is, I work with this community of of uh, incredibly talented people. So I brought this idea. I, I pivoted to editing, and so for the time I was in quarantine, I was at a keyboard, holed up in an upstairs room. I shared all of the things that if I could be out there and working, this is sort of what I'd be thinking about or what I'd be doing. And so that's kind of how it happened. And then Brooke uh, ran with it. And I'll let her speak to that. But I will say, the end result is so much better than, than it would have been if I had just sort of, if it had just worked out, you know, as it as it might have worked out, you know, if I hadn't gone into quarantine. Um, and so working in collaboration, it's just it's a really special thing about newsrooms and journalists and, you know, we sort of throw ideas around and we don't have that now in the newsroom. You know, yeah. the newsroom is essentially closed uh, and we're all just kind of working in our little rabbit holes, but we're still that, that like collaborative spirit is, it's like, it's in us, you know? And so I just think uh, I'm, I'm thrilled that, that, that was how this evolved and it, it's so much better for it. Brooke, we'll pivot to you. Um, what, what was uh, going through your mind when Beth approached you with this idea then? 
So yeah, so Beth kind of brought this idea and said, you know, we have this poet laureate and um, what is, you know, he's a brilliant writer and thinker and what is he thinking about? What is he writing about? And I remember at the time it just like, you know, it sparked in my head um, just, huh, how could we do that visually? And, and you know, originally it was kind of like, well, we, we could do, you know, portraits of him. We could kind of um, pick some of his poems and... Uh, just publish, you know, like a portrait with some poems. And that definitely would have been great. <laughs> um, but I think we just kind of like, started going down this, I, I originally went because as Beth said, she was, you know, staying home for two weeks. Uh, 10, days. 10 days, okay, <laughs> to, to make sure she was she wasn't, she wasn't having any symptoms. Um, so she was home. And so I kind of went out to do this portrait with Kim. And I just like being around him and being at his house was like incredibly, you know, like inspiring. So I, I was thinking, you know, there's probably like a little more we could do with this. Um, and just the way he I, I also ended up doing an interview with him uh, just on the phone. I didn't do the interview that day. But in the interview, he had so many interesting things to say about his process and how, you know, he gets up in the morning while it's still dark and takes these walks and then writes in the dark in his, his tiny shed that, you know, he built himself. <laughs> and I mean, as he's telling me this, that is like, so, you know, those are all visuals. Those are all really, um, like evocative <laughs> and, um, and visceral, like, things you can do something visually with. And I was like, okay, you know, visuals and poetry kind of go together, I feel, <laughs> in this way. So so fortunately, you know, Beth and I just, because Beth, you know, <laughs> is so brilliant at thinking these things through, she, you know, we would just chat about this, like, almost every day. <laughs> yeah, we had a good, like, I think yeah. we were super attuned to each other and, like, spoke a common language, so spoke a kind of shorthand and reading the poems. You know, of course, we're talking on speakerphone and looking at our separate <laughs> computers in our separate locations, but we were just sort of throwing poems and ideas back and forth, and it felt, it was, like, super fluid. Like, it was a good, good, good working chemistry, I think. Well, let's take a step back and just talk about the, the shed itself. I mean, if you were to look up in a dictionary, uh, Oregon poet laureate shed, I mean, this is kind of what, what I would envision. Like as a photographer, when you see something like that, is it just, does it put a smile on your face? Because it sure did for me. I mean, this is just couldn't be more perfect. It's like a room of one's own. It was a shed of his own, separate from the house beautifully lit, you know, re reclaimed wood. I mean, it just like check off all the boxes, Andrew. Like it was, it was pretty, it was pretty great. It's like anyone who makes anything, it's like, it's like your little dream, you know, dream space. And Brooke, your, your portraits, um, you know, how, how did you approach documenting, you know, Kim's face for, for the world to see? You know, he's a guy who's been around for, for a long time in the Portland area, but you kind of captured him in a very uh, important moment. We've been trying to like just grapple with how to take, you know, pictures of people make portraits during this time. And I mean, you know, we end up, we have to stay far away. We can't like be so up close and intimate as, you know, we might 
like to be <laughs> normally. Um, but, you know, actually, that was kind of a fun challenge. So I, I did a pretty big take where, you know, some some of them, he was like on the porch. And that was nice, but it felt a little removed. Or I would try to put like the gate between me and him or but then once he started talking about that shed, I was like, oh, well, we have to make some portraits, you know, <laughs> of you in the shed. And so he's, he told me a story about that door. And so we kind of tried some stuff where, and I think one of these portraits is on the project where he's kind of like peeking through the door. You know, as, as photojournalists, how is taking pictures to accompany poetry different than documenting a breaking news event? We weren't tasked with having to be like literally showing this, visualizing this poem. Like just because Kim had a thought or, or a, a, a phrase or, you know, two lines about something. Like I didn't, like our job wasn't to just do what Kim says, right? So we could look at the poem and think about the poem and sit with the poem and, and kind of run it through our own filter of experience and see what percolates from that. You know, what is this sort of third thing? It's not the poem, it's not him, it's not me, it's this sort of whole other thing. And so that was the really fun part because it was sort of just more interpretive and less, you know, we didn't have to be, you know, obedient in that way. We could we could be interpretive. And we deal a lot with uh, marketing and communications people who, who definitely have their sort of version of the story that, that they, you know, want to pry us open and, 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 and feed us, you know, and, and working with a poet is just sort of the antithesis of that, you know, it was just kind of like, here's a bunch of words. And, you know, I mean, he didn't say anything about anything we did until it was over. So that's, that's really refreshing. And Brooke, how, how would you answer that question just in terms of working with, um, you know, shooting and working with a, a poet versus, you know, whether you're chasing Jim Ryan up, uh, up a mountain or, <laughs> or, or uh, you know, camping up in the snow. How, how is it different? Yeah, I, I actually agree a lot with what Beth said. That was like so much fun. Um, and I think we were all kind of on board with the fact that we weren't trying to like illustrate his poems. It's not like we read the poem and then thought, you know, we should go out and get this picture or this, you know, I did some video for it as well. Mm -hmm. Um, I think I, at least for myself, I was just thinking more like what mood do I want to set or like, um, what do I want people to kind of feel when they, you know, experience this. And I, I personally, like, I also, I don't just do photos, but you know, I do a lot of video and I think, one thing I love so much about video is like, and it's going to sound bad, but you can kind of manipulate people in a way through, through moving picture and like audio, you know, and sound or lack of sound. And you can kind of, you can kind of set an intention or like, in a, that sounds really like yoga. You can put, um, them in a, <laughs> put them in a mood. You can, yeah, you can totally that put you them, decide. Yeah. Yeah. And, um, and I think this project was fun because, like, I, I wasn't having, we weren't having to be literal. Like, we kind of had free reign. What do you hope people take away from this? You know, it was, it was great. I just want to thank you both for doing it and Kim for sharing his, his work. But what do you hope people take away from it? Uh, you know, I, I, a lot of, I put it out on social and a lot of people were so, were just really grateful for him having done it and for us having put it out there in this collaborative way. And, and I kept thinking, and I, you know, I, I kept 
talking to people in those platforms and just basically saying, you know, it was it's a real public service what he's doing with his with his work at this time in particular. And I think people people are, you know, in want of something bigger at uh at a time like this. Uh and I think he's providing something. It's some kind of sustenance that they're not getting otherwise, you know, in a storm of news. Uh, there's this is a this is a pause. You know, it's pretty simple. Like uh, the project, it's not. You know, we weren't like there wasn't anything like too lofty <laughs> that we were trying to do, except just to be like a, a respite from from this, and to also just like process kind of what I think a lot of people are feeling. You don't really know how you feel from day to day, and um, it's just. Uh, it's really hard. I something I've noticed is like this time is really hard on everyone in different ways. And we're like alone a lot right now. And so I think we're all processing it through like how this time is difficult in our own lives. And you're not realizing that it's actually difficult for everyone in different ways. So I just wanted like to provide something for people that was still newsworthy because these poems are so special and are just like a part of history now, you know, and, um, but so it's newsworthy, but at the same time, it's a break from the news, even if it was just for like <laughs> a few minutes. Well, I think it's something that people will keep coming back to because uh, we're not going anywhere anytime <laughs> soon. And uh, it's no. a special thing. So thank you both. Thank, thank you, Andrew. <laughs> Good to see you. Good to see your face. Thanks for listening to Beat Check with the Oregonian. Check out all of Kim Stafford's recent poems on Instagram. You can find him at Kim Stafford Poetry. Or listen to him read some of those poems alongside Beth and Brooks' videos and photos. I'll include a link in the episode notes. If you like what we're doing with Beat Check, please leave us a rating or review in iTunes. It helps others find the show. Reliable news about how the coronavirus pandemic is affecting lives, jobs, and the economy in Oregon is more important than ever. You can support our work for just 10 bucks a month. Subscribe at OregonLive.com slash pod support. Until next time.